New life is precious. There's nothing like those first few weeks with your newborn baby. It's one of the sweetest, but also most challenging stages of life. In this episode, we're sharing some of our best advice for surviving and hopefully thriving in the newborn season. This is Life with Amy and Jordan. As we're recording this episode, our second baby, Emily, is 10 weeks old and is starting to really sleep through the night, which is such a game changer. But we're right in the middle of surviving the newborn stage. So we've been getting some questions about what that current season is like for us and also questions from parents who have never been in the newborn season before. Buckle up. (laughs) It's the best season and also one of the hardest seasons. Like I said. Buckle up. So since we're right in the middle of uh, the newborn stage right now, surviving and thriving in the newborn stage and what a lot of people call the fourth trimester, because it's like, yes, the baby's out, but the baby has so many needs that they might as well be back in, in a way. <laughs> There's still so much. Uh, well, they're needier on the outside. Yes, Most are. definitely needier. They're definitely needier on the outside. So since we're smack dab in the middle of that right now, we just thought we'd talk a little bit about that season and some of the things that we have learned are now that we're doing this a second time around things that we would do the same and different um and just just sharing some tips for people who've maybe never experienced the newborn stage before. things we would do different have two girls <laughs> no i'm just kidding beckett future beckett my son if you are listening to this right now as an adult I love you so, so much. My firstborn sweet son. (laughs) But we do call Emily our angel baby because she just has been so sweet. Emily is our angel baby and Beckett is our leader. He is. He's going to be a leader. (laughs) I've been writing that in his uh, baby journal since he's been since he's been like, I think, two months old. I was like, well, you're going to be a leader. It's decided. We really it's really important to us not to speak things over (laughs) our children that will that will then come true and be part of their psyche and future counseling sessions as an adult. So instead of me Unless telling- it's a positive thing, like yeah. being a leader. Right. So in private, we go, whoo, Beckett is a lot. And then when he's in the room, we say, buddy, you are such a good leader. <laughs> <laughs> so if we were uh, doing some quick hit newborn advice, surviving the newborn stage, what would be one of the first things that you would tell new parents? Zippers. Oh, yes. Zippers. Zippers. Only buy jammies with zippers. I know that might seem like weird advice, but when you're trying to change a diaper in the middle of the night and it's 3 a.m. And, and you're sleep deprived and your con- you slept with your contacts in, but now one is halfway out oh, and yes. the baby is crying and you're changing the diaper and you're trying to figure out the buttons. Yes, those snaps, all of a sudden they just, those snaps feel infuriating. You curse, you curse the person who put those snaps on that garment in the factory. And and you praise the name of people who invented zippers. Those zippers are just life savers in the middle of the night. Well, all right, guys, that's it. That's actually all (laughs) the advice we have for surviving the newborn stage of life. Uh, Just get clothes with zippers and you'll be just fine. And this is the end of the episode. This is life with Amy and Jordan. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But I think in all honesty, the postpartum season, that newborn season it's so sweet, the sweetest in your entire life. Like there's just nothing like the newborn snuggling on your chest. Like right now, Emily is still in that really squishy stage where she still kind of curls up into the fetal position all the time and her little toes tuck in and she'll just like snuggle into my neck and the the way that she smells and the way that she breathes. And it's just, it's intoxicating. It's just the most like special, beautiful season of life. And it's also one of the hardest because, you know, as a mom, my body is recovering from being pregnant, from 
childbirth, um, from hormones going up and down in all different ways. As we've been kind of talking about it, I think over the last, you know, I guess a couple of weeks now, one of the things that's crazy to me about the child rearing process is that at least in our experience, there's kind of like four quarters to the game, right? Mm -hmm. There's the first quarter, which is the first trimester. And that is a, was a really hard season for us because yeah. you got really sick and stayed sick until about 15 or 16 weeks before mm-hmm. it really started to let up. And then all of a sudden there was the magic second trimester. Yes. And it was like you had all the energy in the world. You like feel You good. feel good. Like the bump is like cute and it's small and it's tight <laughs> and you feel like you can just move and groove yeah. and do all the things. And you're like excited things. that people like know you're pregnant. You're starting to look pregnant. You feel really good. Everything is good. And then in the third trimester. You just get huge. <laughs> and exhausted. It's like, come on, baby, let's go. And especially with Emily being a week late, I think we were just so ready for the third trimester yeah. to be over. And that, But that's a hard that's a hard season, that third trimester, right? Because that's it's the waiting game and the getting uncomfortable and the swollen ankles and everything. And then when the baby comes out, now you're in the fourth trimester and it's so sweet for so many reasons, but it's also so hard for so many reasons. And so one thing I just wanted to kind of say at the outset of this episode is that if you don't have kids yet, but you're like on your way to having kids, um, just like know that in this like 12 month season of life, there's going to be for us anyways, I feel like three out of those four quarters were probably harder than they were easier. Mm. But I would say that the, the ones that were the, the one that's the hardest is probably the fourth trimester. And it's also the sweetest for so many reasons. Mm. I realized that I've picked up a, a few of Emily's behaviors. Do you want to hear what they are? Oh, yeah, do tell. Yeah, so I picked up a few. I didn't realize this. Is I am not a cuddly guy. So I don't know if like you're married. Well, you're married to me, so you know. Yeah. But whoever's <laughs> listening, if you're dating or you're you're married to a, a, a guy who's not super like affectionate, I am not like a PDA person. No. I It is not natural for me to hold your hand or put my – I have to actively think like we're sitting in church. Music is playing. Amy would probably like it if I held her hand <laughs> and I reach over. It's like a conscious – lot, like a process, right? And for whatever reason, in like the last week or so, I found myself like snuggling up with you in bed and like resting my head on you and being way more affectionate. This is maybe TMI for some people. And I realized it's probably because I've been watching Emily for like 10 weeks be all snuggly and I'm like, <laughs> man, I see the way that Amy's oxytocin gets released when she's snuggles with her, maybe I should snuggle with her. <laughs> I mean, there really is nothing like those baby snuggles. And while I appreciate husband I'm just like snuggles, a big hairy baby. That's what I am. <laughs> oh my gosh. That word picture is one I would like to forget <laughs> as soon as possible. But <laughs> Chewbacca wants to snuggle. <laughs> I think the, the craziest part about the newborn season is that constant opposition of like loving every moment of your new baby and the sweet snuggles and at the same time being completely exhausted, having days where the baby just isn't uh, going to sleep or is crying so much. So th- and- <laughs> this is real life because we go from go to sleep, go to sleep to Oh, she's sleeping. We miss her. her. Let's go look at her while she's sleeping. (laughs) And it's like when your kids go to bed and then you just spend all night like looking at pictures of them and talking about them. I feel like that's (laughs) When we used to go on our Friday night dates, we like could not wait. By like Friday at 5 p.m., we were like, where is Miss Allie, our magical babysitter? (laughs) Like we got to get out of this house. We got to like give – you know, Becca's going to listen to this years now from now and think that we like – we love you, son. We love you. (laughs) But we he would – she would the babysitter would finally arrive and then we would get to dinner and we would hear all like – 
like the marriage, the marriage experts, they would say, when you go on your dates and when you, when you're out, you know, just the two of you, no talking about the kids. That's a dating rule. We're like, False. We like talking about our kids. <laughs> like all I want to do is talk about them. They're our favorite topic. Um, but you know, you, so you go back and forth between like loving and cherishing this sweet, beautiful gift, this miracle in your arms. And at the same time, it's exhausting. And I, I feel like when I think back to our newborn stage the first time around with Beckett, I kind of describe it as being in like a cave. It felt foggy and dark. And even though there were moments, uh, so many beautiful moments um, of the sweet ones, there the were The sweet also- ones were usually when there was sunlight. Yeah. So like daytime, That's all so the true. sweet moments happened during daytime. And then as soon as the sun would start to set, it was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> That's where like the physically dark moments were. And I think physically dark, e- emotionally dark. Emotionally, <laughs> yeah. It was literally dark outside and it was dark inside my heart because I was so sleep deprived. And so I think especially when when you're like browsing on Instagram and everyone's cuddling their sweet newborns during the day, you don't necessarily see all of the exhaustion and the sleep deprivation and taking care of your postpartum body at two in the morning. And there's a lot of things that I didn't even know that happened to the body before I had kids. I didn't realize that there would be bleeding for weeks. I didn't realize that I would need a water bottle just to go to the bathroom. I didn't realize that there were going to be um, nipple creams and pads and crying. And there's a lot of crying. I used to cry because Beckett was so sweet. And I would be like, I just love him so much. And I would start crying. And then I'll I'll still remember, I can still remember so clearly, probably about a week in um, with Beckett, he had a tongue tie. So we were driving him back and forth to a lot of different doctor's appointments and consults. And it was exhausting getting in and out of the house and in and out of the car seat and trying to time his naps and just like trying to figure out parenthood, really. And we were sitting in the doctor's office and she was a really sweet doctor that cared just so deeply about mamas. And she just looked at me and said, how are you doing? And I just started crying. I was just started really sobbing in her office. And she was asking me about breastfeeding. And I was having a really hard time breastfeeding. And Beckett's uh, latch was really painful. And every feed, I was wincing through every feed and crying. And I remember her telling me, Amy, it's not normal for breastfeeding to be so painful. Breastfeeding isn't supposed to be painful like this. And I just started sobbing. And I... I can think back to that moment and just go right back to that place and remember, oh my gosh, that was so hard. And that's the stuff that you don't necessarily see on Instagram, right? Because on Instagram, you're seeing the really cute baby pictures and the snuggles and the sweet moments. And I really think that's how it should be for the most part. Like we go to social media to escape. Like I wouldn't really appreciate it if my feed was filled of like selfies of people with like bags under their eyes at three in the morning, like holding their dirty diapers. Like it probably... <laughs> that would be depressing. I may, might We'd not call want... call it depressogram. Yeah. <laughs> I probably wouldn't want to log on to depressogram um, if that was the case. But we do think it's important that like if you're in that season right now and you feel exhausted or and you've had breakdowns, like please know that you are not alone. That's a normal part of the newborn experience. And it's probably one of the weirdest because you're experiencing the highest highs and the lowest lows all at once. Yeah, it's I mean, it's a complete emotional roller coaster. And I think, you know, from a husband's perspective, one of the challenges of postpartum life for me has been that there's a sense of helplessness that comes from it. And I think in general, Amy and I are people who 
it's interesting because I would say that we're people who are totally open to reaching out for wisdom. Like if somebody has a better way to do something, we are all ears, but sometimes we're not the best at reaching out for help because there's something in us that's like, no, we can figure it out or we can do it or we don't want to bother people. And one of the things that was so helpful for us was not only having our midwife come, you know, for the first six weeks, right? They do postpartum visits for the first six weeks after uh, a baby is born. But something that we didn't know, if you are a mom who is struggling with getting a good latch, you're struggling with breastfeeding, um, most insurance carriers, and in fact, I'm almost positive that's 100% of insurance plans uh, are required to cover up to six uh, lactation consultations. Mm-hmm. And that was something that we didn't know when we first had Beckett. And it was mm-hmm. a friend who reached out to us and said, Hey, just so you know, I'm pretty sure that you can go see a, a lactation expert. And those appointments cost a couple hundred bucks a visit. Mm-hmm. And you can get, I think, up to six covered um, under most insurance plans. And so that was a godsend to us in so many ways, because had we not had, you know, as former elementary school teachers, Amy and I are huge on early intervention. Mm-hmm. Like I'm reading a book right now called Upstream, and it is a fascinating look at so many different societal problems and issues that we have, where if we could solve the problem somewhere upstream, then it becomes a lot more simple. And so I'll give you an example. The first 60 seconds of the book, the author basically describes a situation where there are two men standing on a riverbank and they look out into the river and they see a child coming down the river and the child is drowning in the river. And the first man goes, oh my gosh, there's a child drowning in the river. The river, I'm going to go save him. And he jumps in the water and gets the child and brings him out of the water. A few seconds later, another child comes floating down the stream and the guy goes, oh my gosh, there's another child in the water. I got to go save him. And he jumps in and saves the child. Well, pretty soon it's like one child after another, after another. And there are so many children floating down the river so quickly that this one man alone cannot save all the children. You're probably like, where is this going? This is super dark. No, there's a point. (laughs) And the second man who was on the riverbank with him looks at him saving the kids in the river and then takes off running upstream. And the friend who's in the water saving the children is like, hey, where are you going? There's kids to save. What are you doing? And the second man says, I'm going to stop the man who's throwing children in the river upstream. Whoa. (laughs) When I heard that story in the first 60 seconds, I was like, I will be listening to this entire book on Audible. And (laughs) it's, it's, it's such a good illustration for so many problems in our world if we if we slowed down just for just long enough to think, okay, here's the problem that's in front of me. Is there a way that I can solve this upstream so that I don't keep having this problem over and over again? And so for Amy, when she was having really difficult latches and she was, you know, cracking and bleeding and crying and wincing, I mean, I don't know if you've ever nursed a newborn. I haven't, but I've watched my wife nurse too. And you are nursing constantly in those first weeks. You're just nursing, nursing, nursing. And we looked at each other and said, okay, we've got to get some help because something is seriously wrong here. And thank God that you can get six of those consultations totally for free. And you can have a lactation expert help you get a good latch. So if you're in that season of life right now, double check with your insurance. But I would really encourage you to take advantage of those appointments, at least until you're in a place where you're like, okay, like nurse, because we would have given up. I think that's the bottom line Mm -hmm. is that if we hadn't, if we hadn't had that expertise and help available, you might not have just physically been able to continue Mm -hmm. for weeks on end with that kind of pain. 
Oh, definitely. I think if I hadn't gotten that kind of help, there's no way I would have been able to continue breastfeeding because it was so painful and so hard at the beginning that if I didn't have support in that, I think I probably would have given up. And I'm so, so thankful for the help and that I stuck with it and fought through it because I ended up being able to nurse Bex um, so much longer than I ever expected. Actually, almost halfway through my pregnancy with Emily, I was still nursing. Beckett. So it was about 20 months of nursing. And I just feel so thankful for that because it was such a sweet uh, bonding for our relationship. And I just never would have expected, given how hard and painful and challenging breastfeeding was at the beginning, that I would ever make it that far. And so I hope that can be an encouragement to any of you mamas out there who are struggling with breastfeeding, just to know that it is possible for it to get better and that it's worth it. We'll continue to talk more about that in just a minute. But first, do you love taking photos but wonder why yours don't look like the ones you see online? What if we told you there was a free online photography class that would help you fix that? We're Amy and Jordan, and along with hosting this show, we're professional photographers who help people take better pictures. We created a free online photography class where you'll learn three easy pro tricks that will help you start taking better photos this week. To reserve your free seat, just head to amyandjordan.com slash class to choose a date and time that works for your schedule. Again, that's amyandjordan.com slash class. We're so excited to share three of our favorite pro secrets that will help you start taking better photos this week. We can't wait to see you in class. Now back to the episode. And I think along that that same line of solving upstream problems, for us before we had Beckett, so when we were pregnant with Beckett, we heard from a lot of parents like, hey, the most important thing to get dialed in is a sleep training foundation. And for us, that was so key. We kept hearing it over and over and over again. So that was something that we were like, okay, like instead of starting and not really knowing what to do and then looking for help, let's learn about this while we're still pregnant um, and kind of solve that upstream problem. Um, We talk a lot about the idea of when you're on an airplane how they always say, in case of an emergency, the oxygen masks will fall. Make sure to put your oxygen mask on yourself before you assist somebody else. And I think, oh man, that is so important during the newborn season is making sure that you have your own oxygen mask on and finding ways to take care of yourself. And I think the best way to take care of yourself and take care of your baby is having a solid sleep system from an expert who knows what they're talking about. Well, yeah. And we've talked about this before on the podcast and we heard it somewhere, but but it's true is that the best gift that you can give your children is as a healthy marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, but also the best gift you can give your children is a healthy you mm-hmm. and a, a, some, a you that's emotionally and spiritually and physically healthy and whole. That is the best gift that we could all, you know, give our children or one of the best gifts. Mm-hmm. So we kept hearing over and over again about this uh, sleep coach uh, named Kara and she has a business called Taking Care of Babies. And Pause. Anybody who's listening to this <laughs> right now, this is your public service announcement I need you to write down three words, <laughs> taking Kara babies. And Kara doesn't even know that we're recording this or saying this in this episode, but that's just how much it's the first piece of advice. Anytime we find out one of our friends is pregnant, we're like, write down taking care of babies. And it's C-A-R-A, Kara, Kara babies. Um, if you care about yourself and you care about your baby, <laughs> taking care of babies. Man, they should just hire us to write all the slogans. And <laughs> We need a jingle. <laughs> Let's not go there. 
<laughs> but taking care of babies was the number one game changer for us because she teaches a lot of things that are not intuitive about how to make sure that your baby is uh, going to sleep in a way that will lay a foundation that they can later be sleep trained. And so using her system in the first couple of weeks, they're just too tiny to be able to sleep through the night, but she gives you all the tools that you need to do so that as soon as they're physically able, they're able to sleep through the night. And now, you know, here we are with Emily 10 weeks old and she's sleeping about nine or 10 hours a night. And that is not because of us. That's because of what we learned from Kara. Yeah. And part of the game, the game changing a component of it is that when you're in the, when we first had Beckett and we were in the cave, we didn't know when we were going to see light at the end of the tunnel. I yeah. think that's the scary part is that you're in weeks two, three, four, five, and you're getting com- sleep de- deprivation compounded with more sleep deprivation. Mm-hmm. And thanks to taking care of babies, we we knew with Beckett and now also with Emily, like, okay, we just have to endure this for this limited amount of time. But by six weeks, she'll be sleeping six hours. And Mm -hmm. by seven weeks, seven hours and eight weeks, eight hours. And that was a game changer because you can endure a lot of pain. Our pastor always says that you can endure pain when you know there's a purpose. Mm -hmm. And so we knew that, okay, this is really hard. These first three, four, five, six weeks are really hard. But once we get to weeks eight, nine, and 10, and she's mostly sleeping through the night, the, the pain will have had a purpose. And I think just kind of the idea of solving upstream problems, what's so interesting in that book is, and it, it's so, it relates perfectly to this, is he says in the book that once you are able to identify the problem, you'll see it all around you. So let me say that again. Once you're able to identify the problem, you'll see it all around you. But he said one of the problems is that, problems is that oftentimes we don't even realize, we don't even see the problem But then when we do, it's like, oh my gosh, we need to fix it. And we tell our photography students all the time, one of the most interesting things is to watch TV or watch a movie and you will see two characters talking to each other. They're facing opposite directions and the sun is hitting the back of both of their head. (laughs) And the reason is because Hollywood is creating beautiful lighting on both characters, but it's movie magic, right? (laughs) Like there's no, there's no scenario under which two people could be facing each other, having a conversation and the sun is behind both of them Mm -hmm. because there's only one sun, right? And so I think that's something that you will start to realize as you, you know, whether it's taking care of babies or another sleep training course, Mm -hmm. once you start to sleep train your little ones and you start to see the success and the you know success from that, you will start to notice running around a lot of other kids who are not sleep trained and you'll mm-hmm. start to notice cues like we notice in Beckett and in Emily, their sleepy cues mm-hmm. that Kara talks about. And I can identify a tired child like anywhere in the world now. <laughs> and so sometimes Amy and I will be out at like a restaurant or we're out wherever and we'll see a child giving all the sleepy cues and the mom or the dad is kind of like fussing with them or struggling with them. And it's like, maybe they're hungry. Maybe they're this. Maybe they're that. Like, maybe they're blah, blah, blah. And then Amy and I are across the room being like, they're tired. They're tired. Take them home. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. But having um, someone who's an expert in an area is just such a game changer. And so we really recommend getting that as soon as possible for all new parents. Because like, if there's any gift you can give yourself, it's the promise that sleep will come back again. And I think just the promise in general that like life will get normal again. When I think about the newborn stage with Beckett, it felt like 
is it going to be like this forever? Like it felt like life was never going to be the same and that we were never going to sleep again and that we would never feel like ourselves again. And now we have more perspective with our second baby knowing like, okay, that was a season and it was hard and it was beautiful, um, but it will come to an end. And so knowing that there's an end point just gives so much more hope and energy when you're in the middle of the hard stuff. Yeah. And kind of along those same lines, when you are in the fourth trimester, especially you first time parents out there. um, One thing that I've never really appreciated is when somebody is like at a, a stage of life that's ahead of us. And it's almost like they're kind of like, it'll get better. Don't worry. Like, it's okay. You'll get through it. And like, that's really helpful. But also when you're a first time parent, you're like, holy moly, I'm barely hanging on. One thing I just wanted to to offer as like a word of encouragement. And this is something that we tell all of our friends when they say like, what are five or seven things that you want us to know about having the first baby? One thing I would just let you know is that in our experience with both kids, the first one, to, the first one to two weeks, were amazing. Mm-hmm. They were amazing. It was like the adrenaline from the labor and the delivery and the oxytocin, like all the good like hormones are just flowing and vibing and the snuggles are sweet and the the baby smells are wonderful. Um, in those first couple of weeks, your like family and friends are coming by, people are bringing meals. You just have like an abundance of like food and help and so much adrenaline and oxytocin and serotonin and all that stuff that you feel like on top of the world in a lot of ways and invincible. And then like weeks three, four, and five come. And one of the things that we found, at least in our experience, was around weeks like three, four, and five, that's when a lot of the meals stop coming. Mm -hmm. That's when a lot of the family and the friends, they get back to like life. Because when you first have a baby, it's like everybody stops. It's like 2 p.m. in the middle of a work day and they're like, I'm coming to the hospital or I'm coming to the house, right? Mm -hmm. Um, People are so excited and eager to be there and help. And that's like a normal response. Like we're that way, right? When there's a big life event, um, good or bad for friends of ours, most people come right in that first week or two weeks to support you. But in weeks three, four, five, not only does that support kind of start to fade away just as a natural thing, but also that's when your sleep deprivation is at its very peak. So if you think about sleep deprivation on a curve, right? Um, it is going to be the worst at weeks three, four, and five, because by week six, they're sleeping about six hours, week seven, week eight. And so weeks three, four, and five is when you've only been sleeping like 90 minute clips mm-hmm. before you have to wake up and feed the baby. And if what that, if that, right. And that's whether you're on a sleep plan or not, right. Yeah. That's just like a, a newborn baby's needs. And so that's just one piece of advice and caution that we give to new parents is just that um, you are, you're going to have difficulty in weeks three, four, and five, because also a little bit of the novelty for you has worn off. Mm-hmm. And it's not to say that you like love your child less. Mm-hmm. It's just that when they're first born, it's like, oh my gosh, there's a baby here. And then by weeks three, four, and five, you're, you're wanting to get back into a routine. You're wanting for things to be normal again, but you physically are not able to do that because that baby still has needs every couple of hours. So I would just encourage anybody in that season, if you're in weeks three, four, and five, or if you know somebody in weeks three, four, and five, that is an amazing time to come alongside them and like check in with them again and just be like, hey, how you doing? Is there anything that I can do to help, you know? Mm-hmm. We'll continue to talk more about that in just a minute. But first, if you're anything like us, before you buy something online, you research to no end, which is why we're so grateful when people we know and trust recommend something they already use and love. 
That's why we created a list of all our favorite things just for you. Everything on this list is something we use and love in our everyday life, from baby products and cleaning products to our favorite books, our kids' favorite toys, and so much more. All our recommendations are in one place, and they're just one click away. To see the complete list and start shopping now, head to amyandjordan.com slash favorites. Again, that's amyandjordan.com slash favorites. When you make a purchase using one of our links, it doesn't cost you extra. Sometimes it even saves you money. And it's an easy way to help support the show. Now back to the episode. When I think back to that time period, like after the first week or two, just like as as the mom, I think one of the hardest things for me was, and I don't know, this might kind of sound shallow and I, but I'm just going to say it because I think it's something that like a lot of moms struggle with is, you know, I look at my body and I'm amazed that it, it created a human being. It's the most incredible thing in the world, right? It's truly a miracle. And so it's like, I know that my body like created and birthed and is now nourishing a human all by itself. But you go from this season of um, everything fitting really well and you have this really cute baby bump and like clothes look cute and everything is tight. And then you, the first like week or two after you give birth, I feel like at least for me, it's like you're so relieved not to have that baby the, the like physical weight of your baby in your belly anymore that you feel light and free and you're just so in love with your baby. And then around weeks like three or four, you start to maybe get ready to leave the house and you're looking at a closet full of clothes that don't fit. At least that, that's been my experience. And especially the first time around, I was looking at that closet full of clothes. I remember like trying to find something to wear to Easter service at church and just like breaking down and crying because nothing fit. I felt like saggy and floppy and I just, I didn't feel good about my body, even though logically I knew like my body did something miraculous and I should celebrate it and, you know, be thankful. At the same time, like in full honesty, I was just feeling bad about like being, feeling so like loose and floppy and bigger than I'd ever been. And just like, it just felt felt like I I just didn't feel good when I put clothes on. I don't even really know how else to say it. And I think we've talked a little bit about too, you know, I think that there is kind of a movement that's happening right now in the country and has been kind of going on for the last couple of years, especially for women. There's like a body positivity movement. And we think in so many ways, that's such a strong, powerful, beautiful movement. That's, you know, whether it's the Dove campaign or other campaigns that are basically telling young girls and women of all shapes and sizes, Mm -hmm. like you're beautiful just the way you are. And I think that one of the things that we've talked about is that there's kind of these two competing thoughts that you're having at the same time. And I think as, as, as human beings and as adults, we're capable of holding two thoughts at the same time, which is you would look in the mirror and you would tell me like, it is amazing that I was able to build a human deliver a human Mm -hmm. and now feed a human from this body Mm -hmm. at the same time. I hate these stretch marks. Mm -hmm. I remember after Beckett was born, we didn't even know, we didn't realize that you, your skin had stretched, stretched. Yeah, because it was all like because it was under all underneath the belly. belly. <laughs> and so I remember like in weeks, I can't remember it was week like, you know, two or three or something like that. And probably around the time of that Easter mm-hmm. and you were in the bathroom and, and looked down and saw the stretch marks for the first time. Mm-hmm. And that was a really like hard emotional moment because you looked down at your body and you were like, I look at those stretch marks and I coined them Bex marks. Yeah. Right. But you looked down <laughs> at them. Which is a really good way to look at yeah, them. Yeah. You looked down at them and 
you were so grateful on one hand that we had a safe delivery, we had a healthy baby. It was amazing that your body could do that. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, if you could snap your fingers and make them go away, you would. And so I think that's one of the difficult things, at least my observation as a husband has just been holding those two things that I think both of those thoughts are valid. And so something that I've said to you, Amy, that I think hopefully maybe other husbands can say to their wives is okay to have both of those thoughts. Like if if you are looking down at something that your body has changed after having a baby and you're, you feel bad, like I wish it didn't look that way. Right. Like, I think that's like probably a really normal thought that most women have. And I wouldn't want any woman out there to feel ashamed that they had that thought. Because I think at the end of the day, we all men or women, we all want to look our best, right? Like that's why there are so many like skin products and shaving products and all kinds of things because we do all want to look our very personal best. But I think something that we've learned just as now that we're both and we're getting a little bit older, we're both starting to see our grays come in for the first (laughs) time and fine lines and wrinkles and you start making jokes about Botox and stuff, (laughs) things that you never thought about in your early 20s. And I think that it's just okay. I just want to give, I've said this to Amy, like I just want to give you permission to have both of those thoughts because it doesn't make you a vain person. It doesn't make you an un grateful person person or a selfish person because you've had both of those thoughts at the exact same time. I think that's normal and probably a lot of people have that. So that's just something from a husband's perspective. Yeah, which I really appreciate. And I think one of the things that I've learned from that that I would tell uh, expecting moms is especially coming from someone like me who if you've been listening for a while, you know that I'm the saver of the family. I love a good deal on clothes. I don't really like spending money. And if I am going to spend money on clothes, I try to make it a consignment store. Girl, you have punch cards from like high school. (laughs) Like Amy's got these punch cards that will have like nine out of 10 punches from like some place that's probably not even in business anymore. I'm like, what is that doing in your wallet? Well, if we get one more punch, we get free ice cream. (laughs) Okay. It's true. So I'm the one that loves to save money in the family. And so I was looking at a closet full of clothes after Beckett was born and feeling bad about needing new things. But this time around, now that I'm 10 weeks out with Emily, I learned so much the first time that once I start started getting clothes that fit my new postpartum body, I started feeling so much better about myself. And I realized that it was worth like the full price retail price tag to buy some things that I probably wouldn't buy in any other season, but that made me feel good again. Um, And so we actually in the show notes uh, have a link where you can go see my top five items that I have found really made me feel so much better. Um, And finding things that are nursing friendly and also are friendly to like a new like loose I like especially like that that pooch underneath your belly button you know well that's that's what I've got right now the pooch below my belly button I don't know what to call that um but like having some clothes that make you feel good again and being okay to spend a little bit of money and maybe for some people that's like not a struggle but for me that really was just realizing okay like if my body built a human and delivered a human is now nourishing a human I can do this for myself and spoil myself, indulge myself a little bit and get some things that make me feel really good. And this time around, I was so much more prepared and I just felt so much better, so much faster because I think my expectations were so much more aligned with reality the second yeah. time I mean, It's around. something our doula told us really early on is she said, Amy, nine months in, nine months out. Mm-hmm. Meaning that it's if it takes you nine months to build a baby, it's probably going to take you nine months before your body starts to look and feel 
more normal again. Mm -hmm. And I think what's been tricky about that now that we've had two kids is that with Beckett, that was totally true. It really took like the full nine months before you were really starting to feel like, wow, I'm like really starting to feel like myself again. And with Emily, it happened in what felt like weeks. And we still don't really know you know, necessarily exactly why that was. And so Mm -hmm. I think just having grace for that, but something else I was thinking about as you were, as you were talking game is this idea that when you're a new parent, especially in the fourth trimester, everything is harder in life when you're doing new things all at once. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think like in our normal course of everyday life, like most of the things that we do are kind of like automatic and there's, we're really not doing doing or learning that many new things. But once you have a baby in that fourth trimester, as a first parent, you're learning a lot of new things. You're learning how to breastfeed. You're learning how to sleep train. You're learning how to change diapers maybe mm-hmm. for the first time. Um, you're learning how to like like pump and like freeze milk. And Googling and- like every sound, like, is this okay? Is this okay? Every little like skin rash. And you know, it's like, you're just Googling constantly because you've never seen any of it before. Like, oh, my baby just made this noise. Like, is that okay? Yeah. And I remember you told me a story one time. I think it was from uh, you, you got an email from somebody. I think it might've been from Brian Harris. It mm-hmm. wasn't a personal email, but I think the guy's name is Brian Harris. Mm-hmm. And he sent an email that was basically explaining why everything is harder the first time you do it. And he said, take an example of like a new parent. And for the very first time, their baby, or let's say their toddler, their toddler gets a fever mm-hmm. and they realize that they need some baby Motrin to break the fever. And so They look in all the cabinets and there's no baby Motrin. And so the wife says to the husband, hey, I know that it's one o'clock in the morning, but I need you to go to Walmart and get some baby Motrin. So the dad is like, got like his like, you know, his maybe he like just threw his glasses on and he's like his hair is disheveled and he's in his pajamas and he drives to Walmart and he gets to Walmart and Walmart is big, right? (laughs) There's a lot going on at Walmart. And imagine like looking at a map of Walmart And then just seeing like this dad like zigzagging through every single aisle trying to find the baby Motrin. And all in all, the trip takes him 45 minutes because from the time he leaves the house and he searches all over Walmart to find the baby Motrin, he gets it, he gets home, gets it to his his kid. The next time his wife sends him for baby Motrin, it's going to take him two seconds because it's already in the kitchen Mm -hmm. or it's already in the medicine cabinet. Or even if he has to go to the store it's going to take 10 minutes because he knows exactly where to go. And so I think that's a really good analogy for like, instead of like all the zigzagging through the aisles at Walmart, you would literally see an arrow straight from the entrance straight to where the baby Motrin is. And that is such a good metaphor in so many ways for the fourth trimester. We were doing so many things for the first time that were learning brand new. Learning how to swaddle, learning right. how to put a baby to sleep, learning. I mean, there's just so much at the beginning that's new and you're doing it all with the least amount of sleep you've ever lived on in your life. And so it's just a lot at once. So I think recognizing all of those things and realizing, you know what, this is hard. I am learning so many things for the first time. I am more sleep deprived than I've ever been in my entire life. Recognizing those things will allow you to give yourself more grace and allow yourself the permission to just stay in bed as much as possible, especially you mamas out there. I think when I think back to my favorite, sweetest moments of both of my newborn seasons, it was just those moments where I was in bed alone with my baby 
just learning their little fingernails and staring at their little eyelashes growing in and stroking that baby soft skin. Oh, and, and smelling them. The best smells. The we like don't smells. bathe our newborns because we love the smell so much. <laughs> it's true. They have the best baby smells. And so stay in bed as much as you can. Like this is the time in your life where you should let everything go. Just let it all go. Like if the dishes pile up, let them pile up. If, you know, like things like vacuuming and and dusting, like just let it all go uh, and really cherish that time as much as you possibly can. Because even though in the moment it feels like, am I ever going to get through this? It goes by in the blink of an eye and you really can't believe how fast it's over. I think there were a lot of times when I was struggling during the newborn season where I would stop and think to myself, am I the only one? Like, you know, in one of those crying moments where you just feel exhausted and defeated and you can't get your baby to sleep and you just feel like this is this never ending exhausting cycle that's going to go on and on and on. I think there were times where I let myself believe, even though I knew it wasn't true, that I was the only one feeling this way? And why couldn't I hold it all together? And why couldn't I just be super mom and super woman? But I think what I really needed was just to give myself more grace and sleep when the baby sleeps and not try to keep the house going and try to just like let everything else melt away and savor that precious time with your baby. Thank you for listening to Life with Amy and Jordan. If this episode was helpful to you, we'd love for you to leave us a review. And if it wasn't, please don't. (laughs) But seriously, a review from you will help us reach more awesome people like you. To get the newest episode as soon as it's available, hit the subscribe button.